Good morning, church. Wisdomatic. We've been in a series over the last couple of weeks as Pastor Ken's walk us through the book of Proverbs so we could be wisdomatic, which means full of wisdom. And we've talked about wisdom and words, wisdom and plans, wisdom and finances, wisdom and anger. And this weekend, I get to close out this series with a really powerful and strategic area of wisdom in our lives. In fact, it's an important area, not just in the book of Proverbs, but the entire Bible. When we get wisdom in this area, we will be better, be stronger, go further, find our destiny, be all God intended us to be. This area was important not only to Solomon who wrote Proverbs, but it was important to especially his his dad, King David. It was important to Jesus and Paul and Mary and Martha, and it's important to you and me, and it has to do with wisdom and friends. Now, I know we live in California, and we like to just sort of pull in our garage and let the door go down and not have to talk to anybody or do anything, but that's not how God created us. And my prayer is by the course of this time together, the word of the Lord will be so strong in us that we'll have a greater hunger to go deeper with God, to go deeper with others, to go deeper in God's purposes, because that's how he made us. Amen? Let's all stand together. The theme verse for this series is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Let's read the word of the Lord together. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. Whatever else you get, get insight, love wisdom, and she will make you great. We're going to increase in wisdom this weekend. My prayer is that the Lord will speak to you, and you'll just start getting wisdomatic. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are our great shepherd, leading and guiding us into pleasant pastures. You are our great physician, bringing healing and strength. You are our great hope, giving us possibilities. But this weekend, especially, we love and celebrate that you are a great friend. There's no one who loves us and cares for us as much as you. And I pray that through the course of this time, you would help us to see the power that you put in friendship and the intentions you have, that by the end of this message, all of us will be wiser when it comes to knowing how you created us to, to bless and be blessed, to serve and be served, to love and be loved, to, to celebrate and be celebrated. I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us and prompt us and draw us to a new place in you. You're our friend. And we want to know how to be better friends with you and with others. In the name of the all-wise God, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, as you're being seated, here's what I'd like to invite you to do. Introduce yourself to three people. Shake their hand and say, hello, my name is, and I've been coming to Cathedral 4, and tell them how long you've been coming. So go get your three. All right. 
In your bulletin, you'll find an outline for today's message. I would encourage you to reach in your bulletin and take out the outline so that you can take notes. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. The ushers are going to bring them to you. We'd like to make sure that you have the opportunity to keep track of what the Word of the Lord is, and you can take it home with you and let God speak to you. Because I'm believing you're going to be more wisdomatic by the end of the day. Amen? Amen? Well, this message today is an important one for us in understanding what the book of Proverbs has to say about the power of relationships and God's intentions for them. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live short of all God has for me. Do you? He's got an inheritance for us, and part of that includes the power of relationships. And my prayer is that this weekend you'll be empowered to live the way God intended. So the first point in today's message is this. Find your tribe and love them hard. Say that with me. Find your tribe and love them hard. God wants to put you in relationship with others that you can love for his glory. In fact, one of the greatest scriptures in the New Testament says, they'll know you're Christians by your love. The way you love others is one of the hallmarks that you really know the love of God. In Proverbs 17, 17, one of the great statements about friendship is this, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. There's a calling on us to know how to live out that friendship at all times, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's easy, but living out that friendship that God has for us with him and with others. Jesus is the greatest example of how to be a friend. He was the friend of sinners. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What a friend we have in Jesus. And I want to talk to you about his circle of friendships and what they look like as we begin to understand what it could look like in our life. In the very center of this circle of his tribe, it's what I call the circle of intimacy. Say that with me. The circle of intimacy. There were three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were particularly close to Jesus. He's teaching, they're there. He's doing miracles, they're there. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration having an encounter with God, they're there. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane praying in his last moments, they're there. They're always there with him. They know him, they're connected to him, they love him, they're in relationship with him. He is with them constantly. That's his tribal circle of intimacy. The next level out is what I call the circle of commitment. Say that with me. Circle of commitment. This was a group of people who were committed to Jesus and he was committed to them, often known as the 12 disciples. These 12 guys were chosen after Jesus spent a night in prayer. He prayed and God said, reach to these 12 and gather them close to you. Make a commitment to them. And again, for three and a half years, they followed him. They were there with him for the miracles, for the teaching, for the encounters, For all those moments, these 12 were especially close. And in fact, his last supper, he spent with this intimate circle of 12 with whom he had commitment. Now, the next level out on this circle of relationships is the circle of connection. Say that with me. Circle of connection. There were 72 people, men and women, that Jesus identified that could carry the message out and The book of Luke, we read about how he sent these 72 out, two by two, in relationship, to 
give his message and to share it with the world because he spent time speaking into their lives, teaching them, and showing the way. That was part of his larger tribe. But wait, there's more. The larger circle is his circle of influence. Say that with me. Circle of influence. In this circle of influence, these were all the people whose lives intersected with Jesus. There were 5,000 people that he fed loaves and fishes to. There was a circle of influence of people who came to the wedding of Canaan and enjoyed the wine that he created out of water. These were people who saw miracles, who heard teaching. They were part of the larger circle of influence, but all part of his tribe. In fact, there's that amazing scripture in the book of Revelation that John gives about the end of time in heaven talking about Jesus' real tribal circle. And here's what he says. John says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. People from every nation and every tribe, every people and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, the heart of Jesus is to be ever increasing that circle of relationship. He's not willing that any should perish. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He wants you in that circle of relationship, of influence, connection, commitment, and intimacy with him. Now, here's one of the problems with our generation. We tend to use tribes to divide us. We tend to connect with people who agree with us or think like us or have something in common, and that becomes the thing in common. When in reality, that's what pride is based in. Pride is when I base my connection with you and something short of my love for Jesus. But here's in the outline what I believe God wants to say to us about tribes. And here's what it says. Tribes are not for dividing us versus them. In the kingdom of God, we are ever increasing the us until it includes every tribe and tongue and language. So here's the truth of the word of God. God wants to enlarge your circle of love. There are people very different from you that God wants to bring into your life to help you become all he intended you to be and help you serve them to become all he intended them to be. So not only is God calling us to find a tribe and love them hard, according to the Bible. But on the inside, you'll see the next point is this. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Say that with me. Your vibe attracts your tribe. You know, the vibes you put off determine the kind of people you're going to attract around you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because mutuality, being with people, is the dynamic of increase. You get with people and something increases. You could be discouraged, but someone comes along and lifts you up. You could be frustrated, somebody comes and speaks life to you. Or you could be doing pretty well, and somebody comes along and drags you down. You see, the way God created us in Proverbs 27, 17, the wisdomatic verse says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We were made to help each other be better to help each other grow. Now, there's a little problem with that sometimes. Ross, could you come help me out over here for a second? I'm going to ask Ross if you'd stand up here on the top. Ross is my buddy. Happy birthday, by the way, last week. I'm going to ask Ross to pull me up the stairs, okay? Can you do that? All right. You're pretty strong. Do you work out? (laughs) That was pretty good. Now, Let me try something. Okay, Ross, I'm going to try to pull you down. That was so much easier, wasn't it? Why was it easier for me to pull him down? 
the law of gravity. Because there's this law in the world that tends to pull things down to earth. That's why we're not all just hovering in here like angels. But there's also a law of the gravity of sin that has that same truth that it's easier to be pulled down than to pull up. That's why we need the power of Jesus helping us choose the right people to connect with. Otherwise, people can pull us down. In fact, the next blank on your outline says this. Friends have a tendency to rub off on you. That's why you have to be wise about those with whom you are going deep. This message is about going deep in relationship, having people around you who by the power of the Spirit can pull you up, can bring you to a greater place. Proverbs 4 says this, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. You see, when we walk with those who are in the light, who can pull us up, it goes more and more toward the sun, toward Jesus, toward the brighter day, whereas there are those who can pull us down. Now, some of you might want to take that previous blank about friends rubbing off of you and make sure your teenagers have it, because the people you spend time with are the people you're going to become like. That's why I'm so glad you're here this weekend, because you're saying, I want to be more like these people. But it doesn't just happen by looking at the back of people's heads. God's calling us to a greater level of relationship. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, there are 16 people that are identified saying, don't hang out with them. I would encourage you to do a study through there about who are the people to avoid. And the nice thing about the Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs loves to do contrast. Do this, not that. Eat this, not that. No, I mean, do this, do, you know, have this characteristic, not that characteristic. And I'm not going to give you all 16, otherwise we'd be here well into the afternoon, but I'm going to give you a couple of them. The call into light, the call into the sun, the call into life is a call to faithfulness. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, many who say, many will say they're loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? The key mark of a positive, life-giving, pull-up relationship is faithfulness. Someone who will be faithful to you no matter what. In the midst of your mistakes, in the midst of your shortcomings, they will be faithful. Now, the book of Proverbs gives us what the contrast or the pull-down, the opposite is. And in Proverbs 17, 9, it's this. Whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. It's talking about gossip. How many of you have known a relationship that went bad because somebody didn't keep their mouth shut? Oh, just me, huh? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Gossip is damaging. In fact, in the Bible, it's compared to greed and murder because that's what pulls people down. And I've had plenty of people ask me, well, Pastor Wayne, what is gossip? I'm glad you asked. Here's the definition. Gossip is sharing something about someone when the act of sharing is not part of the solution to the person's problem. If you start to tell me something and I'm not part of the solution, you know what? I don't need to know. Sometimes people say, well, it's the truth. I'm telling the truth. Yeah, but your motive is wrong and why you're telling that. And we have this little problem in the church in general. It's called, oh, maybe I won't gossip, but hey, can you join with me in prayer? I want you to pray for so-and-so. They did blah, 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 blah. Like, oh, yes, I'll pray, and I'll tell everyone else to pray too. 
No, no. If you're not part of the solution, you don't need to give all the details. Pray for so-and-so. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me about their this. Don't ask me about their that. Don't, you know. No. Gossip pulls people down. Faithfulness pulls people up. Another one of the contrasts in the book of Proverbs is this. It's wisdom versus foolishness. Hang around with wise people, not fools. In Proverbs 13, 20, here is how the writer puts it. Wisdom is gained by those who take advice. You know how I can tell if you're wise? If you're open to take advice. Because if I grow in wisdom, I realize I'm not perfect yet. I realize that I still have blind spots. I realize that I still need to become more like Christ. Wisdom means that I let wise people pull me up by speaking into my life. And sometimes that means saying, eh. Jesus did that with the disciples. They were struggling, and he said, hey, have more faith. They were off track, and he led them the right direction. They were high and mighty, and he said, you guys need to be more humble. He was not afraid to... Be wise with his wise inner circle of friends by speaking life into them. But here's the opposite. Proverbs 12, 15 tells us that the way of fools seems right to them. Here's the issue. Fools think they're right. And if someone just comes to you and wants you to say, oh, you're right, you're so, that's so terrible. You don't deserve that. You know what? They're a fool and so are you. Here's what the Bible's. I mean, here's what the blank says there. Fools want echoes, not answers. Let's say that together. Fools want echoes, not answers. Let's say that one more time. Fools want echoes, not answers. In other words, a foolish person just wants you to say, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I agree with you. And if you're doing that, God help us because we're pulling people down. We're keeping them headed toward the wrong place. Now, Jesus, when he spoke life, when he gave wisdom, he did it in love. We got to have the right motive for how we pull people up. But it's that call to light versus darkness, to faithfulness versus gossip, to wisdom versus foolishness. The last one I want to talk to you is pride and humility. Pride is what pulls people down. It measures everybody by myself. It thinks about me. Proverbs 16, 18 says, too much pride will destroy you. Because what happens is it's all about you. You're the center. It's how you feel and how you want and what you want to take place. The Proverbs 11.2 tells us the pull-up. The opposite is humility when it says, too much pride can put you to shame. It's wiser to be humble. Now, I know a lot of people struggle with this because it's like, Pastor Wayne, what is humility? Is it just like, oh, yes, yes, whatever you want, I'll do it. It's like, oh, woe is me, I'm no good. No, no. God created us for relationship. He made you to be in relationship. The most important thing he made you for isn't just to earn money and to do acts of service and to help others. The most important thing is loving him, being a friend with God and loving others, being a friend with others. The whole goal of the gospel is living out friendship with God and friendship with others. That's why wisdom and friends is so important. And here's what humility is. Humility is loving God and loving other people. In other words, it's thinking about God and other people more than myself. Humility means I'm thinking about you more than I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about God more than I'm thinking about me. That's what it is to be humble so that the center of my life, the focus that pulls me up is, oh, let me think about you. There is this pull between life and death. Whatever vibe you put off is what you're going to attract. 
And if you keep saying, I can't figure out why everybody just comes and dumps and says all this negative stuff to me all the time. I wonder why. Our vibe attracts our tribe. Why does all this information keep coming to me? Why do people keep coming to me to gossip? Hmm, I wonder why. Here's what I want to talk to us about. I want us to be able to build relationships the way God intended. And we're going to walk through some Bible examples. And the third point here is it takes a village. Say that with me. It takes a village. God wants to put you in a tribe of relationships that will help you be your best. But it's sort of weird because here is a passage from Proverbs 18 that says, one with many friends may be harmed. What? One with many friends may be harmed. Another translation said, one with many companions comes to ruin. Here's what the writer of Proverbs is saying. Your social life can be damaging to your friendships. I know you may have many, many friends on Facebook, and you have many, many relationships. You have lots of people out there. But even Jesus himself said, here's my focus. Here's my three. Here's my 12. Sometimes we don't go deep in relationships the way God intended because we've got so many things going on and we're so involved in so much stuff that's not life-giving, the enemy likes to distract us from the power of friendships. If you're going to become all God intended you to be, if I'm going to be all God wants, it's only going to happen through relationships. So let me tell you how to have the kind of relationship God's intends. The first one in the center is be a Barnabas. Say that with me. Be a Barnabas, which means to encourage people. Let me tell you a little bit about Barnabas in the Bible. He's actually born with the name Joseph. He grew up, he was born Joseph, he was called Joseph all of his life. But everywhere Barnabas went, he was just encouraging people. Everywhere he came, he was like, oh, he's just building people up, encouraging them. When Paul first came to Christ and the disciples didn't believe it really happened, Barnabas is the one they're encouraging. He's like, no, no, you can trust him. Come on, let's get behind Paul. When Paul and John Mark had a falling out, it was Barnabas that said, no, come on, let's work this out. He encouraged people so much that one day they decided, okay, we're not calling you Joseph anymore. We're calling you Mr. Encouragement. And that's what Barnabas means, son of encouragement. They changed his name because he was such an encourager. And Proverbs 27, verse 9 says this, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume. Here's the beauty of that. God intends for us to be encouragers, to build each other up. Now, in that TP right there on your outline, I want you to write down, who is the person that encourages you? Maybe it's a moment to be grateful for. But here's what I want to do a little further. Who is somebody, God, that you would call me to encourage? Who's somebody I need to build up? Who's somebody that I need to speak life into? Not just once or twice, but God, who is someone I could encourage and come alongside to become all God intended them to be? I want to talk to you a little bit about that in my life. Nine years ago, I came here to preach while I I lived in Virginia at the time on Father's Day weekend, and Pastor Ken knew that I liked to run. And so he connected me with Pastor Rick Robinson, who was also a runner. And we went out for our first run eight years ago. Since that time, my buddy and I have run thousands of miles together. We've run 26.2-mile races called marathons. We've run gladiator races and Spartan races. And we've climbed crazy obstacles and gone lots of amazing places. 
again, literally, we've run thousands of miles together. And we've gone over mountains, we've gone through valleys, literally and figuratively. In fact, you can see, um, this is where Jesus fed the multitudes, and Pastor Rick's feeding me right there. <laughs> we ran along the Sea of Galilee at sunrise, and just, it's been more than just a running partner. I know there are mornings I wake up, like yesterday morning, we ran eight miles. I woke up and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. It's too early. I'm 64 years old. <laughs> I should be sleeping with all the other elderly people. <laughs> but I knew Pastor Rick was going to be down there waiting for me. And it's like, if I don't show up, I can't text and say, oops, not coming. Sorry, you're there. I knew he was there, so it sort of pulled me up and said, get up out of bed, Wayne. And when we're running, sometimes like, oh, I just don't think I can go another mile. But he's there encouraging me, pulling me on, saying, let's do this. We can keep going forward. There are so many places, not only literally in running, but spiritually in my journey that I couldn't have gone without Rick. He's my encourager. Who's that for you? You might say, oh, I wish somebody would encourage me. Well, you know, I tell you, if you're super discouraging, nobody's going to come around you. <laughs> if you're always discouraged, just hear, you want to encourage your life? Be an encourager. Start speaking life into other people. As you begin to speak life, God will bring those people alongside you to run for that part of the journey. The next person from the Bible I want us to talk about is there on the right-hand side is reach like Ruth. Say that with me. Reach like Ruth. This has to do with being loyal. Friendship is about loyalty. You know, one of the things that strikes me most as I've been studying for this sermon is Jesus' inner circle of intimacy was Peter, James, and John. Those are his best friends, his closest circle of intimacy. And here's what happens. At his hardest time in life, Jesus knows, I'm about to die. His best friend says to him, everybody else can leave you, but I never will. And within 24 hours, Peter even denied that he knew Jesus. Talk about friendship. What? Who wants that kind of friend? But what does Jesus do? He's so loyal. Right away, right away, he's loving and forgiving and reaching out. It says, reach like Ruth. Let me tell you a little bit about Ruth. Ruth was not the same ethnicity as the Israelites. She met a man and fell in love, and she and her husband and her father-in-law, mother-in-law, and her brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they all moved away, and all of a sudden things went haywire, and all three men died. And now she lost her husband, she lost her brother-in-law and father-in-law, and here she is with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her sister-in-law, who soon took off afterwards. And she says this amazing thing. I know we say it a lot in weddings, but it's really between friends. Ruth says to Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your tribe will be my tribe. Your God will be my God. And she commits in loyalty to serve Naomi. In fact, Proverbs 18.24 tells us about that kind of friendship when it says, a true friend is closer than your own family. There's this place of loyalty and relationship. It has been my privilege to have, as a very dear friend for over 30 years, Pastor Ken Foreman. 
Pastor Ken and I have served together, prayed together. In fact, you can see us praying at the Garden of Gethsemane there. We've done life together. In fact, when we first moved here, my wife Diane and Elisa and Pastor Ken and I lived together for five years. You don't get much closer than that. Last year, we were in 13 countries together. We have the privilege of doing life and ministry together. After meeting 30-some years ago in a college classroom and becoming friends. And one of the things that expresses loyalty to me is that every day when I do my devotions, I always do two chapters in the Old Testament, chapter in the New Testament, and either Psalm or Proverb. And my marker for my Psalm and Proverb is this bookmark. It says, pray for the Foreman family. And every single day for the past eight years, I have prayed for this family. I have lifted Pastor Ken up. I know what it's like to be a senior pastor. I know the attack. I know the struggle. I know the enemy's plans. I know the dreams. I know the visions. And when I pastored for 22 years, it was men like Bill Bell in my life who would come to me every Sunday and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Pastor, I'm praying for you. To me, the loyalty of this kind of relationship is the prayer I pray daily for God to come alongside this family, to give them strength, to speak into their life, to help them bear the load of caring for us and leading us. It's so hard to understand what they have to endure on our behalf, but what does it look like to be loyal? Now, I not only pray for him once every day, but I have another bookmark in my Old Testament reading, and on here, it's laminated, I have 125 employees at Cathedral of Faith, everybody who works in every department, because I know this is the place where you get your life, it's where you get your blessing, where you get your encouragement, where you find your tribe. So my responsibility is every day, I have a list of all 125 staff, their spouses, and their children. Because if the enemy wants to get at you, he wants to get at some of them. Thanks for that, praise the Lord. Robert, you're on here. Every day, loyalty for me is holding up arms. Because in the Bible, Joshua was out fighting the battle with the people, and Moses was up on the, on the mountaintop holding up his arms. And as long as his arms were up, they were winning. And when his arms would fall, they would lose. So Aaron and Hur held up his arms, and that's what I get to do in prayer, by praying for Pastor Ken and his family, for praying for our staff and team, believing, God, you can do a great work. Where is loyalty in your life? Who are you praying for? Who's God calling you to stand beside despite their shortcomings and weaknesses? Because nobody's perfect. Let's look at the next one. On the bottom right-hand side is pursue a Paul. Say that with me. Pursue a Paul. That means to be mentored. If you want to be pulled up to the next level, you need to be people who are stronger, more accomplished, more, a better leader, better prepared, more experienced than you. Who's pulling you up? Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. God created us to help each other up. In fact, you only got to where you are because someone's helped you at some point, spoken wisdom or life or strength or experience or training into you. It's been my privilege to have a lot of great mentors in my life, men and women who've spoken into me, prayed for me, led me, directed me, but one I want to talk about for a little bit is Pastor Jack Hayford. Pastor Jack pastored in Southern California for decades. 
He's an amazing man of God. He's written many books. He teaches phenomenally. He's a pastor's pastor. I couldn't think of anybody better to model what I want my life to be as a pastor. And for the first 15 years of my relationship with him, he had no clue who I was. I just read his books over and over and over. And he mentored me through his books, even though he never met me. And then somebody gave me one of his cassette tapes with a sermon. I listened to literally hundreds of his sermons on cassette. I actually preached some of them. Some of you, oh, maybe you think that's all we do is preach other people's sermons, but that's pretty rare. Uh, He had a big impact on my life until finally one day, I went to his conference. In fact, Pastor Ken went with me, and we would go to his conference. He would speak life into us and encourage us and teach us and mentor us and what pastoring looks like. And then one day I found that he has this mentoring group where he brings 20 pastors in for a week, and you spend a week with him in his home. And so I took one of my pastors from Virginia. We flew down there. We spent a whole week with him and his wife in their house, eating, talking, praying, laughing, growing. He was a person who called me to something higher, If you're going to go higher in your relationship with the Lord, if you're going to go higher in your occupation, higher in your commitment to serve, who is that person who can pull you up? The bottom middle one in this village, this tribe God's calling us to make, is move like Mary. Say that with me. Move like Mary, which means to serve. Let me unpack this one for you. The Virgin Mary, amazing woman, has an encounter with an angel, and the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to have the Son of God. Call him Jesus. Talk about a vision. Talk about something amazing. I'm about to have the Son of God and the whole world's going to change. This is the most famous birth in all the world. And what does she do first? Most of us, when we find out our vision, our dream, it's all about us. How can I make this happen? What do I do next? Who can serve me? Who can make it happen? Here's what Mary does. She gets the most amazing vision in the world, and the first thing she does is she goes and serves her cousin Elizabeth, who's already three months pregnant. And for six months, she takes care of Elizabeth. She has her own vision. She has her own dream. She has her own expectations, her own future. But instead, she serves someone else's vision first. In fact, that's one of the ways God will test your vision. Can you serve somebody else? Who is it God may be asking you to serve? Proverbs 3.27 talks about it when it says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. God calls us to serve, whether it's somebody next to us, somebody at Village House, somebody in the community, somebody at our workplace. He calls us to serve. Now, one thing that people ask me a lot about is, Wayne, what makes a good marriage? It's been my privilege to marry hundreds of couples and do hundreds of hours of premarital counseling and marital counseling, and there's one statement I need to tell all of you who are married or plan to get married, and this is it. The decision to marry is the decision to say, this is the person I want to serve the rest of my life. Let me tell you what I didn't say just now. I didn't say, this is the person who's going to serve me the rest of my life. (laughs) No! No! It's the opposite. You see, God created us for relationship, not just to have children and families, but he created us because we become our best when somebody brings the best out of us. And my job is to help bring the best out of. Proverbs 18.22 says this, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor of the Lord. Now, I like that verse, but I actually have my own translation of it. 
And uh, let me read that to you. He who finds a wife finds what is amazingly, phenomenally, impressively, awesomely, overwhelmingly great and receives favor from the Lord. At least that's my story. It'll be 42 years this coming Thanksgiving. (laughs) 42 years this coming Thanksgiving that one of my best friends, my inner circle of friends from college said, hey, I got a bunch of friends from my home church coming to visit. Why don't you come down and meet them? So I went down and this van door opened up and all these teenagers piled out and this one girl stepped out. And I wrote in my journal that night, this is the girl I'm going to marry. And two and a half years later, that's what happened. Amen. This summer will be 39 years that we've been partners together in serving each other. I couldn't have asked for a better wind beneath my wings because she has served me so faithfully. And I like to believe that I have served her so that she could become all God intended her to be. That's what your marriage is intended for, that without this person, I can't be all God intends me to be. But we help serve and bless. And as a result, some of you may not know, but Diane directs the children's ministry program here at Cathedral of Faith. It's been a great privilege for us to serve together. When I pastored in Virginia for 22 years, for those 22 years, she directed our children's ministry program, and we served together in ministry. Prior to that, we lived in Redwood City, and I pastored there, and she served directing children's ministry then. We've had a great opportunity to serve the Lord together as we serve each other for all these years. We've been in 50-some nations. We've been in tons of ministries. We lived on a ship for seven months, giving the gospel to people around the world. We've had a great life of serving that culminated in the amazing privilege of serving two young men, Timothy and Stephen, who've grown up to be amazing young guys. Now we get to serve their wives and we get to serve our grandchildren. It's all about having relationships of serving one another. Some of you need to change the way you view your marriage. This is the person you're to serve. Some of us need to change the way we view our friendships. God wants you to serve not just be served. In fact, that's the word Jesus gave. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve others. Let's look at the next one. On the bottom left-hand side in our tribe is train a Timothy. Say that with me. Train a Timothy. Here's an important part of Timothy's life. Paul poured into Timothy. He mentored him. He taught him. He sent him letters. He directed him. He poured into him so that he could move him on. And that's our responsibility in every generation to take everything I know, everything I've learned, everything I've experienced, and put the next generation on my shoulders by giving them all that. It's better for them to learn my mistakes than have to make them themselves. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, the godly give good advice to their friends. Who are the people God's calling you to train, to invest in? For me, this is like characteristic. This is the key part of this season in my life right now. Through teaching in the classroom, through mentoring, through sharing, through leadership training, I just believe God's called me to invest in the next generation. I have many, many people that I have the privilege to speak into and enjoy life with. But I want to talk about one young man. When I first moved here eight and a half years ago, I was going into the gym, the Family Life Center, and as I was going in, there was a young man on the elliptical, and God spoke to me and said, 
I want you to speak into his life. He's going to be a pastor. I want you to mentor him. And that's when I met Kent Guardiola, who's now Pastor Kent Guardiola at our Gilroy campus. Pastor Kent and I have had a great relationship for all these years that's been life-giving. I've given him everything I have, helping him develop his head, his heart, his hands, his habits to be the pastor and man of God God's called him to be. But in the end, not only have I been able to speak life into him, the blessing of mutual friendship and relationship that we've experienced has been life-giving for me as well. You see, it takes intentionality to have friendships. You've got to make it happen because time flies by. How many people have you said, let's get together, and a year goes by, or two years get by, or three years go by, and you never get together because it takes intentionality to find who are those people in my tribe that I need to invest in. The last one in the upper left-hand corner is live like Lydia. Say that with me. Live like Lydia, which is to reach out. Lydia is spoken of in the book of Acts and the book of Philippians because she was the woman that was the first convert that Paul had when he went to Philippi. She was a wealthy woman. She opened her home, and she kept inviting people in so she could invite them into the kingdom of God. Proverbs 4.11 says, I've taught you wisdom and the right way to live. I know we want people who pull us up and not pull us down. I know that our vibe attracts our tribe. But there are places where we need to have circles of relationships of people who do not yet know Christ so that we can have a a positive influence and a godly impact letting our light shine in their world. For me, I've got 21 baristas at my Starbucks who know me really well. And I know them. And they know every time. And I say, hey, have a great life. There's been opportunities for counsel, opportunities for relationship. I have some people at my Safeway that they know me really well because my apartment is next to the Safeway and we don't buy a week in advance. I go down every day and buy what we need for that day. They know me. That's my Lydia people. These are the people I'm trying to reach and let my light shine and show love to and wait for that day when I tell their struggle and say, hey, I'm going to pray for you today. Or hey, can we pull over here a second? Let me just pray for you. It's that circle of relationship, the Lydia circle that I can reach into. Do you know that 90% of people who come to church come because a friend invites them? If you had the cure for cancer, if let's say you woke up this morning and you had the cure for cancer and cancer would go away forever, you think you'd tell somebody about it? And yet you have something so much greater You have a friendship with the creator of the universe. You have a friendship with Jesus who loves you and cares about you. And our responsibility in our village, in our tribe, is to include those people that we can let our light shine. People that you can invite to church. There ought to be somebody we're bringing with us that can hear that good news and grow in that relationship. Let's look at this tribe of opportunities to be a Timothy, I mean, to be a Barnabas, to reach like Ruth, to pursue a Paul, to move like Mary, to train a Timothy, to live like Lydia. Here's the truth about every single one of those relationships. Great relationships require great investment. Let's say that together. Great relationship requires great investment. 
I know you've got a lot going on. I know you're busy. That's the plan of the enemy to keep you so tired and busy from work and life and all the things you have to do that you don't have time to go deep because the enemy knows that's the best way for you to come into your potential, your victory, your dream. God's purpose is for you is to do it together. We really do need each other. The two greatest commandments, all of the Bible is summarized in two things. Be a friend with God and be a friend with others. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the call, and it only happens when we make that investment. Jesus puts it this way in John 15, 13, when he says, Greater love has no one than this, than they lay down their life for their friends. That's what it's all about. Serving, blessing, reaching, leading, training. Let's look at the back of the outline for the fourth point, which is this, all hail the chief. Say that with me. All hail the chief. Here's the truth. Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. He's the chief shepherd. He's the chief in this tribe that we're all part of. He's the head. And in fact, there's a prophecy about him when it comes to friendship in Proverbs chapter 18. And here's what the prophecy says. It says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. No matter how many mistakes you make, no matter how many shortcomings you have, he is your friend. Now, if you want to go deeper in relationship with others, Jesus is a key part of that. In fact, on the bottom left-hand side of the outline, you'll see this. The best way to go deeper in friendship is to have friendship with Jesus. The best way to go deeper in friendship is that friendship with Jesus. Again, his best friend denies him at his most important moment, but he models for us, here's how to love. In fact, I need to say to you, some of you are stuck in your relationships because someone has wounded you and you haven't forgiven them yet. You haven't been able to move on. It might be an old friend. It might be a family member. It might be a spouse or an ex-spouse. But somewhere in there, there's a wound. But if you will go deeper in intimacy and friendship with Jesus, he will give you the strength and ability to love like he loves. Even though what they did was wrong, even though what they did was sinful, even though what they did was not appropriate, God can still give you the strength to have relationships if we look to him. In fact, one of the reasons we don't have good relationship is the next blank there on the bottom left-hand side. When we don't have an intimate friendship with Jesus, we expect others to be for us what only Jesus can be. You see, Jesus is the friend that sticks closer to the brother. Jesus is the one who loves us unconditionally. Jesus is the one who laid down his life for us. Jesus is the one who loves us with all his heart. And when we don't experience that the way God intended, we expect everybody else to do that. And the minute they don't, we don't know how to have relationships. We get hurt, we get offended, we get in trouble, we get pulled down because we're expecting them to be Jesus. So here's what I want to do. To help us build that godly tribe, to help us build that village, I want to talk to you about how to move closer to intimacy with Jesus. We talked earlier in the sermon about his circles of connection and intimacy, of commitment and influence. Let me talk about how that works for us, and you can decide which circle you're in. The outer circle is knowing Jesus. Say that with me, knowing Jesus. These are people who know about Jesus it may be some of you. You may come here on weekends, you hear sermons, you know about Jesus, you think he's cool, it's a great thing, but there's more. There's a line to step across called birth. 
We choose birth to be born again and say, I want to make Jesus the leader of my life. That moves us to the next circle, which is following Jesus. When you move to greater intimacy, that means you decide to follow him. You just don't be content with knowing him and knowing about him and knowing other people who know him. You want to follow him. So you take that step to follow him. But wait, there's more. To go into following him, you choose birth to be born again. But there's a closer option called close to Jesus. Say that with me close to Jesus. You can be closer to Jesus, and there's a different line to step across, and that's the one, not just to choose birth, but to choose life, to say, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to let my light shine that people would see you. I want your power in me. I want you to flow through me. I want others to see you. I want to be close to you, because as I get closer to Jesus, I get closer to my destiny. But there's another line, Some need to choose birth today to begin to follow Jesus. Some need to choose life to say, I've decided to live for him. Some of us need to step into the inner circle, which is centered in Jesus. Centered in Jesus. This one's a little harder because the line you step across here is the line of death. Dying to yourself. Paul says, I die daily. I take up my cross and I follow Jesus. Because what I do is I put Jesus in the center instead of me in the center and how I feel and what I want and my circumstances. Instead of just focusing on me and putting me in the center, I put Christ in the center. There's a couple of choices I want to encourage you to this weekend. One of them has to do with choosing to move to greater intimacy with Christ. One of them has to do with choosing forgiveness One of them has to do with choosing to be more intentional about the tribe, the village God's called us to. But the underlying truth that we started out this service with in song and we end with is this, I am a friend of God. Say that with me. I am a friend of God. Again, I am a friend of God. He loves you. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. You are going to be your best you when you develop that friendship with him and that friendship with others. Let's bow our heads together. My first question is this. Are you ready to move to greater intimacy with Christ? Are you ready to be part of his inner circle by moving closer? Some of us this weekend need to choose birth. We need to say, God, I want to forsake my life of sin. I want to ask your forgiveness. I want to step across the line from knowing you into being a follower and have your life, your forgiveness, and strength. Some of us want to step across the line to say, God, I've known about you for a long time, but I want to choose to live for you. I want your light in me. And yet still some of us have been following Jesus and closed him for a while, but he's saying, you know what? I want you to be centered in me. Die to yourself. Let me bring you life. If you're ready to move closer in intimacy with Christ and across one of these lines, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you today. Yes, 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 yes. Lord, I thank you for the willingness and hunger and desire of your people to be closer to you. Whether they're choosing to follow you today or choosing to be close to you or choosing to be centered in you. You're calling all of us to a greater friendship. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grieves to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to you in prayer. Even though we have trials and temptations, Lord, we can come to you because you will lead us and guide us. 
may you answer the desires of those who've raised their hands for greater intimacy with you. In Jesus' name. Jesus not only paid the price and gave his life for greater relationship with you, but I'm going to ask now if the Holy Spirit has prompted you in this message and said, you have unforgiveness in your heart. The reason you're not moving on, the reason you don't have close relationships, the reason your relationships aren't working, the reason you're stuck right now is because you have unforgiveness that has staked you into the ground to a past circumstance, and you need to choose to let it go right now. If the Holy Spirit's prompting that in you, I'd like you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Lord, you see the pain. Lord, you know that what happened wasn't right. It wasn't good. In some cases, it was immoral and illegal. You see all that, God. You know the pain. And yet, you model for us what it's like to forgive someone who doesn't even ask for it. We're not saying that what they did is okay. We're not saying that what they did is right. We're not saying that what they did didn't impact us. But what we are saying is, God, we are not going to be held back any longer by the hurt in our heart. We are... We are wounded in relationship, but we're also healed in relationship. And I pray that your relationship, your love, would right now push unforgiveness out of their hearts. You tell us, even though there's a mountain of unforgiveness there, we can speak to it and it can be cast into the sea. And we just say, unforgiveness be gone in the name of Jesus. Now I'm just going to ask you to bow your head one more time and ask God to put someone in your heart I know all of us want to be encouraged. We all want to be served. We all want to be mentored. We all want to be blessed. But ask God, Lord, who's someone I could come alongside to encourage, to strengthen, to serve, to bless, to celebrate, to know? I'm going to ask you to write their name down somewhere just so you can begin to pray for them in loyalty. Serve them out of the heart of Christ. That this would be a season for God to take all of us deeper, that all of us would be connected to him and to others the way he intended. He doesn't mean for us just to be a a crowd that moves into a building on weekends for service. He's wanting to make us into a tribe of his people who let his light shine in and through us. God, help us be those people. Teach us how to love. Teach us how to connect. In Jesus' name.